0: I want to welcome you all to Graceland Baptist Church this morning. Happy Easter to everybody here this morning. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Ray Green, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Graceland. And uh, we are thankful that you're here. For all of you guests, we're grateful that you came today. And uh, today I want to talk to you about one specific thing that, um, that my friend Glenn just shared about on that video, and we just so eloquently uh, heard him talk about, and that is the word doubt. Doubt. Would you say that with me? Doubt. Doubt. You see, every thinking person doubts. Famous author and composer Tennyson, he once said, he who never doubted never thought. It's true. If you think, you've doubted along the way. Now, I'm not talking about doubting if the Reds are going to be at 500 at the All-Star break. Okay. I'm not talking about if your ham is going to be great in the afternoon because I know it's going to be. Okay. And I know you went to honey, honey, what was it? Honey? Honey baked ham. That's the one. Thank you very much. And I'm not talking if Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters next weekend. That's not the kind of doubt I'm talking about. What I'm talking about today is an uncertainty about God, an uncertainty about Easter and all that we're doing here this morning. You see, the atheist, the agnostic, those of you who are agnostic or atheists here today, you got brought in by your ear to Easter service. You've doubted. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the Christians. They're right. And then the Christians in this room, somewhere along the line, you've doubted and you've thought, you know what? Maybe the agnostics, maybe the atheists, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. You see, doubt is no respecter of persons. You can be young, you can be old, you can be male, you can be female, and you can doubt. I mean, there's the age-old question. One of the greatest doubt questions there is, is why would a good and loving and all-powerful God allow for suffering in the world. We've asked that. That is why some have been pushed to agnosticism and atheism. I've certainly battled this in my own life. I've encountered personal suffering, and that's the question that pushed me to doubt. Or maybe um, you've seen really, really, really bad things happen to really, really, really good people, and then really, really, really bad people have all of the good things. I've seen that as well, and I've battled through that. I've been with you in processing that very thing. Or or maybe somebody told you along the way, hey, just pray. Hey, just pray. Just tell God something. Pray to God. And so, you know, okay. And you felt awkward, and you started praying to God, and nothing happened, seemingly so. And so doubt crept in. So the big question is this morning with you, as we just uh, take the few minutes to look at this, is what do we do with doubt? What do we do with it? Well, what I want to look at today is when we doubt, we have to go back to the resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. No resurrection, everything is game over. In fact, may the best doubter win if there's no resurrection. Paul himself, he said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15:17. 7, he said, "If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." And then he bluntly as Paul says it, he says to the Christians, "You know what, you Christians, if Jesus hasn't been resurrected, then you are the most to be pitied." So I want to go back to the resurrection. I want to look at it just for a few minutes. And I want you to lean in for a few minutes. I want to look at what many historians, many journalists have said about the resurrection. We're going to divide the resurrection into three different parts this morning. The first section, if you have a listening guide, you're taking notes, you want to follow along, that is this, that Jesus was alive at point A. Jesus was alive at point A. Virtually every scholar, virtually every historian agrees that Jesus actually did live. Only a few internet blog posts and a few people who quite honestly are completely um, oblivious to fact would disagree with the fact that Jesus lived. They would say that Jesus was just a made-up religion based upon former religions. But that just is not the fact, at all, historian, world-renowned historian, Paul Meyer, he says it this way, rather bluntly, the total evidence is so overpowering, so absolute. Listen to this, his, his words, not mine, that only the shallowest of intellects would dare to deny Jesus's existence. So that's point A, Jesus was alive. Point B is this, that Jesus was dead. That, that point B, that Jesus was dead. And there's many proofs, for this. And the biggest proof I think of all is is right here in this room. Would you help me out? What is this right here that I'm looking at? Yeah, it's a cross. Now, why in the world do you in the balcony and you on the floor know that this is a cross? I mean, this is a Roman execution tool. Do you know what a Viking execution tool is? Do you know what a Greek execution tool is? No, you don't. Maybe you do if you're a history buff, but you don't wear them around your neck. You don't put a guillotine and have your child draw it and put it on the fridge. You don't take an electric chair and give it to someone and say, would you hang that electric chair in your living room? Wouldn't that look really nice? Unless maybe you have some problems, okay? Now, why do we do that? It's because of who died on that cross that many of you have tattoos of crosses and in your home, and you know the story behind the cross. You see, the Bible and history tells us that Pontius Pilate uh, was, Jesus was crucified under this man. But many would deny the death of Jesus. And if we're just going to look at historical fact, nothing else, just history, facts, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the fact that that if you're going to prove something, you have to have one or two proofs. Okay? And it's widely considered fact. So first uh, proofs that we have are the names of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels, all testifying to the fact that Jesus died. But then if you want to look outside the Bible, as many historians put and journalists, they list five other sources outside of the Bible that testify to the, the death of Jesus. I'm going to list them out for you. Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, Serpion and the Talmud. But it was upon a cross that Jesus died, where the spikes were driven through his, his wrists and his feet. Do you know what that would be like? You know what death is caused by on the cross? It's when we cannot breathe anymore. You see, you can't can't inhale on the cross when you're hanging because you're sagging so much. And so the individual would have to literally raise himself up. The nails are the only thing supporting the individual. So you literally, the nails are cutting through your bone and your flesh. it raise up, breathe, and then go back down. And literally most people would die, not because of blood loss, but because of sheer exhaustion from doing that agnostic New Testament scholar, James Taber, he says this, I think we need have no doubt that given Jesus's execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead. So in review, Jesus was alive at point A. He was dead at point B. And now the most critical claim, that Jesus was alive again at point C. That Jesus was alive again at point See, It reminds me of a, a husband and his wife who take a trip to the Holy Land and he takes his mother along, along the way. So his mother-in-law is with them along the way. And somehow in the course of time, she actually has a heart attack and she passes away. It's very sad. And so they go to the undertaker and the undertaker says, well, I can do a nice burial for her and, and, and a nice plot here for $200. But if you want to take her back to the United States, it's going to cost $10,000. And without even, like, uh, uh, flinching, the guy says, we're going to take her back to the United States. And the undertaker's like, well, you don't understand. $200 to bury her here, 10000 to take her back to the United States. He's like, look, I heard a man was buried here 2,000 years ago, and then he was resurrected from the dead. I'm not taking that chance. <laughs> I got permission from my mother-in-law to tell that joke because Easter is just a few hours away for for lunch but see there are two strands of evidence incredible strands of evidence that prove that Jesus was alive again at point C. The first one was the fact that the tomb was empty, that, that Jesus was put in a tomb, it was sealed by Roman quality, and then he was guarded, the tomb was, and yet the tomb was found empty again. The first reason why the tomb was found empty is what we call the criterion embarrassment. And why is it an embarrassment? It was because of who found the tomb that was empty, and it was women who found the tomb that was empty. Now, don't shoot the messenger, but this is a big deal. In their culture, Jewish first century and Roman first century, women had no right to testify in court. Their opinions didn't matter, and they were treated mostly as property. Now, don't shoot the messenger, ladies, okay? I'm just telling you history, all right? But the fact of the matter is if you wanted to make up an entire deal, you wouldn't have ladies going to the tomb to testify. But the fact that it was historical fact, they had to testify. Now, the second one is the fact that the enemies of Jesus actually admitted the tomb was empty. Now, they they didn't want to admit it, but they had to. So they said, well, the disciples took him out of there, even though the disciples could not have overpowered those guards or actually rolled the stone away, probably. But the fact of the matter is there was admittance that the tomb was empty. But then not only was the tomb empty, but second of all, that Jesus appeared to other people. And get this, seven sources account for the fact that Jesus appeared to people. The first source, I'm going to list it really quickly for you. The first source was that there was a creed that was given to the Apostle Paul. He writes it in 1 Corinthians 15:3 through 7 I'm going to read it for you. He said, Whatever I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, please follow me here. The reason I share that is because. He got this creed A.D. 34 to A.D. 36. And here's the reason why it's important, because that was just a few years after the death of Jesus Christ. If you want to investigate the scene or of something happening, you go back immediately to when the crime or whatever has taken place. This is historical gold right here. The second source, if you're taking notes, is that Paul's testimony about the disciples... He, he testified that they had seen Jesus. He said in verse 11, Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And then the third source, and fourth source, and fifth source, and sixth source are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see, the disciples confirmed the fact that they saw Jesus Christ, and they would be willing to literally be killed in the most atro- atrocious ways. Why? Because they believed and saw Jesus and they were willingly wedded to die. Well, you say, Ray, you know what? People die all the time for causes they believe in. Yeah, but are you going to believe in a cause that is a lie? Certainly not give your life for it. But then finally, the seventh source are two church fathers, Clement and Polycarp. And these individuals testify to the certainty of the followers of Jesus and the fact they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Guys, I had to limit this list to seven. There were more. But you didn't want me going on and on and on and on and on this morning. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have concrete proof, concrete proof that Jesus was alive again at point C. And when we know this, it gives those of us who are believers, Christ followers in this room, confidence It puts a little spring in your step to know that you follow a risen Savior, to know that your past is in the past, to know that your future is forgiven, to know that every moment moving forward can have mission in your life, to know that there's a purpose for your life, to know that, you know what, those things that you've done that haunt you in your dreams that you don't tell anyone about or you think about, those things can be forgiven and can be put behind you. Those things are the most incredible things. I love how one person says it, you know, that empty tomb. You know what? Nobody expected nobody, right? But the fact of the matter is we have celebration this morning. So I want to participate in an ancient tradition with you this morning. and, And that is this, that I'm going to say He is risen. And for those of you who believe that, I'd like for you to say He is risen indeed. Okay, let's try it out. You ready? Here we go. He is risen That's right. Praise God we can walk in confidence that he has risen indeed, that death has been conquered. And that, my friends, is worth celebrating. That is what is worth getting out of bed and saying, God, thank you for, for literally walking out of the grave. Now, the big question I have, though, is why would he do it? I mean, why the cross and why the death and why the burial and why the resurrection? Well, I think there's two reasons. And I just want to spend the last few minutes with you talking about those. The first reason of why is because of the fact that this cross points to justice. You see, God is a God of justice. He didn't come to earth and look at humanity and say, okay, you've jacked it all up, amnesty for everyone. That wouldn't be just. Every one of us is born with a sense of justice. Everyone is born with a sense of no matter where you are, agnostic, atheist, or Christian, you are born with a sense of that's not right, that's right. Now, why is that? Because God, your creator, put that in you. There's proof that there is a God that created you intentionally. And because, because he is a God of justice. He came across that cross so that justice would be served. The second reason why he did what he did is because of love. He loves you. He loves you so much that He would go upon that cross. This cross is the symbol of His love for humanity. It it reminds me of this uh, kindergarten teacher. And she said, you know what? Easter's coming up, and so I want to teach my students a thing or two. And so we're going to have a show and tell. And so she tells her class, hey, class, what we're going to do now is I want you next day to bring in uh, an artifact that represents your, your, basically your religion. So the next day comes, and, and uh, the first one stands up, and, and her name is Robin. And, and she says, hi, my name is Robin, and I'm Jewish, and uh, this is the Star of David. She holds it up, and everyone's like, okay, that's great, thank you. And, and so the next one uh, stands up and says, hi, my name's Billy, and I'm Catholic, and this is a crucifix, and he holds up a crucifix. So the third one uh, stands up and he says, hi, my name's Tommy and I'm a Baptist. And this is a casserole. (laughs) Right? And some of you are like, yeah, actually it's getting cold right now. So hurry up, preacher, right? But this symbol right here, this is the symbol of our faith. Because it is this symbol that represents the love of Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't nails that held him to a cross. It was his love. And he loved us so much to be our ransom. Our ransom. Why? Because the barrier remains between us and God. The barrier. The prophet Isaiah 59.2, he said this, But your iniquity has separated you from your God. And you know what? Let's just look around the world. We've jacked things up. We're broken. We mess up. We've fallen. No one is perfect. And our sin has created this barrier. A preacher was on an airplane and he asked a lady. He said, "Um, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? She said, well, I, I exercise and my husband and I get along very well. You would say that's absurd to think that that would get you to heaven. But you know what? There's a lot of other absurd things that people say about getting to heaven. They say things like, well, I'm better than Hitler, or I give money to the poor, or I did this special thing, or I attend church every Sunday, or I I believe I'm a good person. But see, the Bible says there's a barrier, that there is no amount of good works. It's like me handing you a football and saying, throw this to Florida. It's like impossible. You couldn't even try The Jews understood this more than any. They had this this temple. And in this temple, there was these two separated rooms. There was the Holy of Holies, and then there was the outer courts. And what separated was this this curtain. And this curtain was 60 feet from top to bottom. And when Christ would die on the cross on Golgotha, what would happen when the atonement was made, what would take place is the curtain would rip from the very top to the bottom. 60-foot fabric cut in two. And you're thinking, Wow. Why? Because God wanted you to know. He wanted you to know that the barrier had been removed. And he wanted the priest to know that the barrier had removed. Paul said, for through him, we both have access to the Father. We have access to the Father now because of what Christ did on the cross. And this is great news because death awaits us. Every single moment, people die around the world. Every second. We're actually going to talk about death, what it looks like next week. Isn't that exciting, right? But we're going to talk about what happens when we die. Have you ever thought about that? What does the Bible say? What do the myths say? What happens when we die? That's going to be next week at our 9 and 1030 services. But death, we can't escape it. Anybody know who the great escape artist Harry Houdini is? Anybody? Harry Houdini. Yeah, many of us know. He's real famous. He, He would tie himself up and then they'd throw him into Lake Michigan and he'd get out. He did all these death defying facts, but the last one he would ever do, he never, de- he never defied it. He made a pact with his wife that whoever died first, the living spouse, would try to make contact with the dead spouse. Well, Harry Houdini would die October 31st, 1926. And his wife waited and tried to contact him and tried to contact him, but yet she never did and died disappointed. You see, Harry never escaped death, and whether your name is Stephen Hawking or your name is fill in the blank or Billy Graham or Ray Green, we cannot escape death. But we can escape the consequences of death through Jesus Christ. You see, every single person has a date written on the calendar and God's calendar. Your name's on it, whether you exercise or not. So eat another hand, piece of ham today, okay? But here's the thing: we can escape the consequence of death through Jesus. John chapter 5 verse 24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. John chapter 11 verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now did you hear that word believe? Everyone say that word with me. What's that word mean? In the English language, the word word believe, it has all kinds of connotations. But in the Greek, the word for believe, it means to put your total trust upon. It means to put your complete confidence on. It means that, you know what, this chair is going to keep me up. When you sat down, you were believing in the Greek. You didn't even know that. Look how smart you are, right? Now, is this belief? Yes or no? Is this belief? Kind of, but not all the way. To put your full trust, to put your full weight upon it. And that's exactly what the Scripture is talking about. See, when we put our full weight upon Christ, when we believe, that's when He rescues us from the penalty and the consequence of death. In 1989 in Armenia, there was an earthquake 8.2 on the Richter scale. 32,000 people died in four minutes. Actually, we had a woman from Armenia in the first service this morning, and she came to me and she said, I remember that earthquake. Unbelievable. There was a family there, and the family uh, gathered together after the earthquake, and they just wanted to make sure everyone was okay. And so they get everyone together, and everyone's good. And then the husband looks at the wife and says, all right, I got to get to this school. Well, what's at the school? Well, what was at the school was their son Armand was there. And Armand was at their school. The the, The dad had dropped him off earlier. And he had always promised Arman, I'll always be there for you. I'll always do what I said I would do. I'll always be there for you. So he shows up at the school and the school is leveled. It's in rubble. All of the brick and mortar is gone. And there's all these people weeping over their children and over what has happened. And he says, Arman, Arman. And he doesn't hear anything. And then he hears in the back of his mind what he had told Armand. I'll always be there for you. I'll always do what what I said I would do. So he begins to climb up on the rubble and he begins to picture in his mind where in the world was Armand's schoolroom? He kind of finds it in his mind as he was recapturing, rebuilding it in his mind. He begins to tear away the rubble piece by piece by piece. True story. One hour goes by, two hours goes by, five hours goes by. And and the parents at one point try to pull him off the rubble. Come back here, sir. He's dead. No, no, I promised my son that I would do what I said I would do. So he continues. He, he does it for 10 hours and then 12 hours and then 16 hours. The fire marshal says, sir, you have to leave. Your life is in jeopardy. The gas lines have busted open. There's fires all over the city. You may yourself die. He says, I promised my son I would do what I said I would do and I would always be for him. So he continues 25 hours, 30 hours. 32 hours, 36 hours, finally, at 38 hours of digging, his hands are bleeding and he's moving the rocks away and finally goes, Armand! And he hears under the rubble, Dad, Dad, I knew you would come just like you said you would. He goes, Armand, give me your hand. And Armand yells up, Dad, I've got 14 others. And I told them all that my dad would come for me just like he said he would. He said, Armand, come up here now. He said, no, Dad, I want you to take the other 14 to safety first. Dad, I know you'll come back for me. I know you'll come back as you said you would. You know, 2,000 years ago, the father reached his hand down into the grave. He grabbed a hold of the son and he rescued him from death. And that is why we can have victory because God did what he said he would do. And today he wants to offer the exact same thing for all who would believe that he will rescue you all because of what he said he would do. So I want to ask you a question. Are you struggling with doubt? Look, if I'm going to be real with you, and I am, I have. And that's why I'm speaking to you this morning, because I was sitting in a seat just like you were, struggling with doubt. Is this real? Is this something that I can put my life upon? (laughs) Yes, you can.